0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit Houston'sFirst.org. Man, what a powerful song and powerful testimony to hear and to see and to read all that. Can we just cheer for all those people? That takes a lot of courage to be able to do that we are just so grateful so grateful for that. We're going to be in 1st Timothy chapter 1 if you got your Bible, I want you to turn there. If you don't have your Bible, we got one for you right there in the seat in front of you. On page 1051, you'll find 1st Timothy right there and you can take that Bible home with you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that with you or to give it to somebody else whatever you want. But man, we're jumping in. I love teaching books of the Bible because you're able to see the whole picture of what's trying to be said. Paul is an apostle. He's speaking to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And we're jumping in and we're hearing today, we're gonna hear Paul's story. Stories are so powerful. We love going to movies. We love reading stories. We love seeing stories on TV. We love telling a story. It's a great and wonderful thing. One person put it like this. There's always room for a story that can transport people to another place. So the powerful aspect of stories, we're going to jump in and we're going to see Paul's story of how he moved from death to life, from being a really bad guy to being basically a missionary for the Lord. So we're going to see that and we're going to try to look and see our own story in that as well, to be able to journey through and to say, man, what's my story? How can I share my story with somebody? How can I make a difference in somebody's life? And, And maybe you're here today and you're going to say, you know what? I don't think I have a story of Jesus changing me. And so I, I, need to, I need to get that. I need to go to Christ. I need to receive His salvation. I need to walk in His salvation so that I can really see God's work in my life and be able to share that. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 12, and we're going to go through verse 12. It's going to take us a little while, 12 and 13. Don't worry. We're going to make it all the way to 17, and we're going to put the pedal down once we get past 13, okay? So don't get nervous. Here we go. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Here's what it says. I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because He has considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. The first thing that Paul wants us to know is before Christ, we all have a past. Before Christ, we all have a past. Now, Paul's past was a really terrible past. It was not a good past. Paul was a murderer of Christians. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Paul was the one that said, I'm going after him, and we're gonna destroy the church. Let me show you Acts chapter 8, verse one. Here's what it says. Saul, and that's Paul, same guy. That's his name before he came to Christ. Saul agreed with putting him to death. The first Christian martyr, his name was Stephen. And on that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So what Paul did is he was giving hearty approval to Stephen being Stephen being hit by stones. He was knocked with stones, he was killed by them throwing stones at him. And Paul was there giving hearty approval. And yet he becomes the greatest missionary of the church. He went from a mercenary to a missionary. He went from a persecutor to a preacher. And he says, I want you to know that my story is one that is so bad, I'm so not proud of it. It's dark moments, it's regrets, it's bad decisions. My ignorance and my unbelief came to play in this. And his story, it's one of ignorance. Yes, he didn't know what he was doing. Jesus said on the cross, uh, forgive them for their sins for they know not what they do. So we know ignorance is a part of it. But ignorance was also connected with unbelief. See, ignorance of the things of God does not excuse you from the things of God. You can't say, I, I didn't know, officer, that the speed limit was 55. You still get a ticket. Ignorance of the law does not excuse you. And ignorance of the things of God is rooted in our unbelief. And so our unbelief and our ignorance begin to work together for us to, to move in ways that we shouldn't move. Now, if ignorance excused us of our sin, then the worst thing we could do is have Missions. It'd be better to leave them in their unbelief, right? Leave them, I should say, in their ignorance of Christ. But we know that that's not enough, that we get to go and share Jesus with people who have never heard. And so their ignorance tied to unbelief, everyone can have an opportunity to respond and to hear the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, I was a blasphemer. I was cussing God. I was a persecutor. I was killing Christians. I was ignorant and I was unbelieving. But then you get back to that beginning of verse 12. He said, but thanks be to God. Now the story changes. He goes, thanks be to God. He was all of these bad things. So let me just give you your next little blank. Even though I was blank, what would you put in your story? What were you before Christ? Even though I was this, I did that. This is how I acted. Now, In these, you end up with a testimony of sharing Christ where you say, I was like this, and now I'm like that. Now, some of us have a radical testimony. It is one that's like, wow, I mean, dark to light. And it's radical, and that's awesome, that's incredible. Some of us have kind of what you would maybe think is a boring testimony. you're like, I don't have one of those really like, y'all would put me up here, and the screen would show, went to church all their life. Went to vacation Bible school, became a Christian early, then trusted Jesus. You know, I mean, you're like, well, that my friend is the best testimony you could ever have. Kids, that's what we're trying to parent you to have. That's what we want you to have. We want you to have a testimony that is, I found Jesus very early and the scars of sin were very few. Some of us are gonna be the prodigal son. Some of us are gonna be the older brother, but all of us need a savior in Jesus Christ. So I got a little radical testimony I'll give you in a little bit. But if you got kind of more of a lighter testimony of coming to Christ early, I want you to know your testimony is the best one. I remember in middle school, it was kind of in the Reagan era and they had this this great push, which was awesome. And it was just say no. Do you remember that? Just say no. And so it was say no to drugs. Just say no. And so that was a great thing. It was at school. It was on the airwaves. It was on TV. Just say no. Nancy Reagan was talking about it. Ronald Reagan, President Reagan was talking about it. Everybody was talking about it. And I tried to use it at home and my mom would say, you know, take out the garbage. I'd say no. I was taught in school, just say no. And then I realized that ain't gonna work. That's not gonna happen, okay? But just say no. So they had this guy come talk to our school and I was in seventh grade and he had an amazing story. It wasn't a Jesus thing, but it was, a. uh, he might've been a believer, I don't know. But he came in and he talked about all of his drugs and all of his alcohol and all the way his life was just totally in a pit. And then he began to say no and his life was changed. And don't say yes to drugs, students, say no to drugs, right? And so in that, when he was sharing his testimony, this is what I thought, I thought, man, that is so cool. Maybe I should do something like that. I should wreck my life with drugs and alcohol for a while and then come back and this will be this amazing, impressive type thing. And then he said this, and I thought this was so great. He did such a great job. He said, you don't want my life. You want to stay away from this from the very, very beginning. stay away from it. And so I I give you that. Students and adults alike, you stay away from it. You say no. And so in this radical testimony, awesome. But the not so radical testimony, absolutely incredible. That's the one you want, right? That's the one that doesn't have the scars of sin on it. Paul had the radical one. And by having the radical one, he is so just amazed that God can even move in his life. Look at the beginning of verse 12. It says this, I give thanks. Now that you know that he was a murderer, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me and considered me faithful and appointing me to the ministry. He is blown away that he gets to be used by God. He's blown away that God chose him. He's blown away that God would say, I want to put you to work. He's blown away that Timothy would be somebody he could minister to. He says, I thank Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, our Lord, that he has appointed me for ministry and strengthened me. I love that word strengthen. Let me just give you a little sermon in a sermon. God gives you strength to do his will in his way. God doesn't give you strength to do your will in your way. And that's why a lot of us are so tired. Because we've been doing our thing in our way on our strength and we're gonna hit rock bottom at some point. But when you do God's will in God's way, you'll have God's strength to be able to do it. Colossians chapter one, verse 27 says, to this end, I labor and struggle with all of his energy that works so powerfully within me. And so Paul says, God strengthened me to do his will because he's appointed me to the ministry. Did you see that last word in chapter uh, one, verse 12? To the ministry. Now that's a very interesting word. As I told you, we teach books of the Bible here. We love doing that so we can see start to finish of something. Well, in chapter three, we're going to end up talking about the offices of the church of deacon and elder. This word ministry is the Greek word diakonos, which is the word for deacon. Now, let me teach you about this just so when we get into that, we can get there. Is Paul saying that he's an officer of the church as a deacon? No, he's not. He's an apostle. He said that in verse one. And he says, but God has appointed me for diakonos. This word is a word that means service. This word is used 31 times in the New Testament it's used. Only three times, all agree, three times that it's used to talk about an office in the church. Three versions out of 13 versions at a fourth time when talking about Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 verse 1. So three times in Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, an apostle, overseer, and deacons, it mentions speaking to them. First Timothy chapter three, it mentions it two times. And then possibly three versions out of 13 say Phoebe, a deaconess in chapter 16 of uh, Romans. So here's what I want you to get. There's an office of the church. It's used three, maybe four times in the New Testament. There's an attitude of the church that's used 28 times. Got it? So every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ should have a diakonos in our heart, a service in our heart that we want to serve the Lord through his church. It's an attitude, not an office, 28 out of 31 times in the New Testament. And this is one of the times you see it right here. Let me give you another couple examples. You maybe hadn't thought about this. Matthew 23, verse 11, the greatest among you must be a diakonos, a servant. I'm not talking about an office, I'm talking about an attitude. Mark chapter nine, verse 39, and he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if any man desires to be first, then he must be last and be a servant to serve all. Diakonos. John chapter two, verse five, Jesus' mother said to the servants when he's going to do the miracle of changing water into wine, his first miracle, he, she said to the diakonos, the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So Paul is not talking about an office of the church. We'll get there later. 28 times out of 31, it's talking about an attitude of the church. And so we see here that Paul says, I am so grateful that I get to serve. I get to be the least because Jesus has changed my life. Now, when we see this, this is an amazing thing, whether it's boring, whether it's exciting, whether it's a big, they're going to make a movie about it, or just, you just tell your grandkids about it. Doesn't matter. We all have a story. Prodigal son or elder brother, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you haven't trusted Jesus as your savior, man, what better day than today here in this message right now to trust Jesus Christ as your savior. If you do not do know Christ as your Savior, then are you walking with Him? Are you telling your story each day? Even though I was in the past, I am now. We actually put on your listening guide a QR code right there in the middle of your message notes that you can hit with your phone because we love to hear your story. You just fill out your story, just kind of type in your story from your phone and say, this is my story of coming to Christ. What a blessing it is. Now, our second point is this, with Christ, mercy can rewrite your story. Mercy can rewrite your story. Now, let me show you. I told you we'd go through uh, 12 and 13 pretty good. Let's look at 13. Let's get all the way to 16. Here we go. Verse 13, even though I was former a blasphemer and a persecutor and an arrogant man, but I received, I want you to say this word with me, count of three, mercy, one, two, three, mercy, because I acted out of ignorance in unbelief. Here's another word. I'm going to have you say grace on the count of three. And the one, two, three, grace, of our Lord overflowed um, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Okay, what's he gonna say? This is big time. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them, Paul says but I received mercy for this reason so that in me, the worst of all of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Christ can rewrite your story and he does it with two words, many others, but let's take two. Mercy, mercy, you know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what I deserve. That's what mercy is, not getting what I deserve. So you're speeding, you get pulled over, the police officer lets you go, that's mercy. You didn't get what you deserved. You didn't get a ticket that you deserved. Grace is getting what I didn't deserve. See it? Grace is getting what I didn't deserve. So grace is you get pulled over for a ticket, you're speeding and he doesn't give you a ticket. He goes back to his car and says, I'll be right back. And he brings you a chocolate pie and hands you a chocolate pie through the window. That, you go, wow, I was speeding, no question about it. I was caught, no question about it. And I got a chocolate pie through the window. That's not just mercy, that's grace. Jesus Christ, in his mercy, we didn't get what we deserved, which was death. He took the death on the cross to be on our behalf. He was the payment for us. He rose again from the grave so that then he could save our soul and the grace of Christ could wash us clean and we could be forgiven of all that we've done, been given our, a future and grace can come into our life through the Holy Spirit that grace overflows. Look, if you will, in verse 14. For the grace of our Lord overflowed along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That word overflowed means to burst its banks. Isn't that great? Grace burst its banks in your life. It didn't just stay in the river course, it burst its banks and it flooded every area of your life. It flooded your parenting, it flooded your schoolwork, it flooded your your home, it flooded your business, it flooded your song, it flooded your praise, it flooded what you read, what you listen to, what you do, it flooded your language, it flooded your heart. It burst its banks so that you are sopping wet, lavished with the goodness of God. That is an amazing thing. So, Paul went from a persecutor to a a preacher. He went from a mercenary to a missionary. And he says, I cannot believe how good this grace is. This grace is so wonderful, so great. And he looks back and he says, This is what I was, but this is what I am. And this is the change that happened. This is my story. This is my story. What's your story? Every once in a while, I'll get just really nostalgic. I'm a native Houstonian, so I've grown up here my whole life, been here, went away for college and and did ministry there for a while and then came back here. And so I've lived basically in this area within 90 miles of each other, native Houstonian. So I got a lot of days here, born in Herman Hospital in the medical center. You don't get any more Houston than that. And so there I am. Raised here, mainly in the Sharpstown, kind of A-leaf areas where I grew up, and every once in a while I'll get kind of nostalgic on a Saturday, and I'll just get in the car, and I'll just head back to my my old neighborhood, and I'll just drive around a little bit. I love what Paul David Tripp said. He said, when you're young, you're an astronaut. You always want to conquer new worlds. As you get older, you become an archaeologist. You're trying to figure out, make sense of your life, and you like those old pictures, and you like that old song, and you remember that old movie, and... You look back on some things, and how does this broken piece of pottery fit into my life? And how does all this work? And we're all a tangled ball of yarn in a lot of ways as we get older, and we need God to kind of help us stretch that out and make peace of it. So students and young ones, you're, you're an astronaut. You're going for it. Keep going, man. That's an amazing season of life. And then at the same time, as we get older, we become archaeologists, but let's keep moving forward. Great days are ahead of us, and God still wants to use us. So every once in a while, I get on an archaeology tour is what I would call it. And I get in my car and I go just as you all do. And you get in the car and, um, you know, you, you start driving and you pull up next to that house and it sure looked bigger when you grew up in it. It's a lot nicer when you grew up in it too, it seemed like. And you look and you look in that window right there. That was our kitchen window. And that was our, that's our living room window. And that's, you just start telling those stories about that. And then my kids have heard it so much. They're like rolling their eyes. Dad, I know we heard this story. They call them poor daddy stories is what they call them. Like, this is where I walked in the snow. Houston snowed a lot those days, and and I, two miles, back and forth in the snow kind of thing, but I could take you and I could show you the window of the house off A-Leaf Clothing Road where I trusted Jesus as my Savior. It's my youth minister's house. I didn't know he'd be my youth minister. I was sacking groceries at Randall's, and a checker shared Jesus with me, and she kind of got stuck in sharing the gospel, and said, why don't you go see my youth minister? And so I went and saw the youth minister, and he led me to the Lord. Got to be his pastor at the Cypress campus. He was a member of our church for a while before he went to heaven. Amazing story. I could go and I could show you the window where that's the, that's the bedroom window in the townhome we lived in. That's the first time I ever opened my Bible and read it by myself and had what was called a quiet time. That's where we parked and this is what we did. But as I drive around the neighborhood, I could also pull places and you end up driving past and I said, that's the place where I first got drunk. I remember trying marijuana right there in that place. That convenience store is where I shoplifted. That's the place where I got in a fist fight with somebody, lost and decided to work on my personality from that point on. (laughs) I could show you sins. I could show you drunkenness. I could show you all sorts of things. But for the grace of God... But for the mercy of Christ, but for the forgiveness of sin, I could show you where I first drank. I could show you where I I tried drugs. I could show you where I lied. I could take you to a classroom that I cheated in. I could take you to a store that I shoplifted in, but I could show you the window of the house that I asked Jesus to be my Savior in. I could take you to the neighborhood church where I got baptized in, and I could drive you by where you sit now, all campuses, and say, that's the church I pastor. And I could take you to the place where I could say in my kids' lives, yeah, let's cheer. Come on, come on. And I could take you, I went into my high school gym where I went to high school because my kids played in that gym and said, that's my kid on the floor. In that gym in which I wasn't even a believer where my homeroom was. And I could point and say, that's my wife. After 25 years of godly dating and marriage, 25-year anniversary, or 26, we just had. Sorry, Kelly, I got it wrong. (laughs) It's a lot, whatever it is, and it's awesome. (laughs) What's your story? What's your story? Doesn't have to be grand. Maybe mine looks boring to you because of yours is way more. What's your story? But in that, what happens is is you have a thankfulness in your heart that you say, God, you're going to use me. God, you're going to do your work through me. God, you're going to speak through me. God, I can read your book. God, I can come to your church. God, I can have Christian fellowship. Lord, I'll be accepted into the family of God. Wow, that's what Paul's saying. I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who strengthened me because he considered me faithful and appointed me to diakonos, ministry, servanthood. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor, he had mercy and grace to me. And then he says, I want you to see it because this is so good. Verse 15 is one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. One pastor put it like this. It's one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Here's what he says, verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. So this is important. Christ Jesus, nine words, nine words. The gospel in nine words. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate extraordinary patience. Nine words. Let me tell them to you. Christ Jesus came. Write it down in your listing guide. It shows the source of our salvation. Christ Jesus came. It's the source of our salvation. Going to church is not the source of your salvation. We'll tell you about salvation, but we can't save you. Being good is the source of your salvation. Going on a mission trip, giving money, whatever it is, making sure your language is right, making sure your attitude is right. None of that is the source of salvation. The source of salvation is Christ Jesus came. John three sixteen. you know what? For God so loved the world that, Jesus, uh, that God sent His only begotten Son, That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world into the world. Christ Jesus came, the source of our salvation, into the world. The next three words is our scope of salvation. That he wants to save everybody in the world. He offers himself to every single person for all of history, all of time, to say salvation is found in Christ alone. The scope of salvation is the world. And then third, the solution of salvation is to save sinners. Last week, Paul listed a bunch of sin, and we're on that list, no matter where you are. Jesus came to save us from sin. The solution matches the problem. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to make church people a little bit better. He came to save sinners so that we would trust in Jesus as our Savior. Now, I want to point out something to you. He says those nine words, Christ Jesus came into the world. The salvation, the gospel is universal, the world to save sinners, and Paul says, and I am the worst. Here's what I want you to hear. The gospel is both universal and personal. You can't just talk about it as just Jesus came to save everybody. That's true. Jesus came to save me, and I personally responded by saying, I'm the worst. I'm not the worst in all of history, but I'm the worst in my heart. I know what my heart looks like. And so, Lord, I want you, Jesus, to save me personally, because I know you are the Savior of the world. Let that sink in, that you receive mercy, you receive grace, I receive mercy. We never graduate from the gospel, we just grow deeper in it. And so we keep walking in this goodness and this amazing, amazing thing. And so I just ask, I just pause and I just share, have you trusted in the good news of Jesus? You placed your faith in Christ alone to be your Savior. I said, Lord, I want you to forgive me. I want you to live inside me. I'm sorry. I'm the worst of sinners. I've lied. I've cheated. I've stole. I've lusted. I've been selfish. I mean, the list, whatever. And I trust you, Jesus, to save me. Turn to him, even in this moment. Say, save me, Lord. Forgive me. Wash me clean. And he'll change you. He'll do a work in you. He's done it in me. And then you'll be able to tell your story of how Christ has worked. You know, it's not just my story. It's not just Paul's story. It's stories that happens all throughout history. American history, Watergate, a huge, huge kind of mark on our history of Watergate. Well, there was a guy named Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson was Nixon's right-hand man. They called him the hatchet man for Nixon. He would go and do Nixon's dirty work for him. Well, finally, when all of Watergate started falling apart and he realized, Chuck Colson realized that he was going to be indicted, that he was going to be convicted, that he was going to go to jail, he started thinking, do I know somebody that could help me? And he thought about a man that was the head of the Raytheon Corporation that had become a Christian. His name was Tom Phillips. He said, maybe I could go to Tom's house and Tom could help me. So he pulls up in Tom's driveway. He comes in. Tom shares with him Jesus. He reads to him out of C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, about what it means to be a prideful man. And he says, can I pray for you, Chuck? And Chuck says, no, you can't. His whole life's falling apart. No. So he says, okay, well, I'm going to pray for you on my own. If you need anything, you come on back. He leaves. He gets into his car. This is the meanest man in D.C., the toughest guy in Washington. And he sits at the wheel of his car and he begins to sob. He can't back out. He can't move. He can't drive. He sobs and sobs and sobs and sobs until finally he says, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me and save my soul. He's indicted, he's convicted, he goes to prison, he comes out of prison, and he starts a prison ministry that has changed the world, and he is now, he's passed on, he's in heaven, but he was one of the top, most influential Christians in all of our country. God used him in so many ways, and this is what he says. I want you to hear his quote, amazing thing. He says, and all of this leads to the greatest joy i found in life. As I look back on my life, It's not having been to Buckingham Palace to receive the Templeton Prize or getting honorary disease, disease, degrees, (laughs) any way you want to go with it, or writing books. The greatest joy is to see how God has used my life to touch the lives of other people who are hurting and in need. It's been a long time since those dark days of Watergate and I'm still astounded that God would take someone who was infamous in the Watergate scandal and soon to be a convicted felon and take him into God's family, and then order his steps in the way that He has with me. God touched me at that moment in Tom Phillips' driveway, And years later, his love, his kindness and his touch still astounds me. Do you hear the story? Do you hear the story? Paul says, this is what I was, this is what I am. Chuck Colson says, this is what I was, this is what I am. Pastor Greg says, this is what I was, this is what I am. You say, this is what I was, this is what I am. And the only one that makes a difference is Christ who came into the world to save sinners. That's what makes a difference. And that's open to every one of us. For Jesus to do his work, never lose the wonder of it all. Our third and final point, after Christ my life is changed and my heart worships. After Christ, my heart and my life is changed and my heart now worships. Going to church isn't something you got to drag me to. Church is something I want to do. Not only just get to church on Sunday, I want to be listening to it on KSBJ on Monday. Not just listen to it on Monday, I want to open up my Bible every single day and get it on a Tuesday. Tuesday. Young singles to be able to come to Metro on a Tuesday night to worship again. Hadn't you got enough Jesus? Absolutely not. You can never get enough Jesus. And when God changes your life and God changes your heart, you begin to worship. Does that mean you're always on the mountaintop? Absolutely not. You always want to do those things I mentioned? Absolutely not. But in your heart, there's a beat for God that says there's something higher. There's something greater. I want you, Lord, to get my eyes off this world and eyes on you, Lord. I want you to do something great because I can drive by those houses and say, I did that. And you did this. And so Paul's going to worship. How's he going to wrap up this little section? What's he going to do? He says, I'm thankful. I'm a terrible person, but I want to serve God. And and, and I want Christ Jesus as the gospel to go forth. How's he going to wrap up this little section? Verse 17 is amazing. This is written by a persecutor, a murderer. And look at what's going to happen in verse 17. Now to the king eternal. God is beyond time. To the king immortal, he's beyond death. I can trust him with my life for eternity. To the king invisible, he's beyond tracing out. To the only God, he is above and beyond all else. Be honor and glory for how long? Forever and ever, amen. So Paul's saying, look, this this grace of God, it burst the banks on me. And now to the God who's eternal, invisible, immortal, and the only God in all of creation, I'm going to worship forever and ever. Amen. And he is a worshiper for Christ. How powerful is this story? We love stories, fiction, nonfiction. We love stories. But after Christ, my life is changed. Let me tell you one last story. I've told you Paul's story. I've told you my story. i told you Chuck Colson's story. There's a lady named Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby. If you're looking, you're pregnant right now, you're looking for a name, this is not the name your kid wants, okay? Just don't want it. Fanny Crosby is her name. She wrote 9,000 hymns, 9,000 hymns. When she was a little girl, she had something wrong with her eyes. And her parents, trying to be good folks, they took her to a doctor. He said he was a doctor at least. They rubbed some things on her eyes. They put some ointment on her eyes, and she went blind, and she never saw another thing after that. How bitter could you be? She saw. just having some eye trouble. And then you go blind for your life. She became a Christian when she was 30 years old. She came to Christ. And then at that point, she began singing worship in her heart, singing hymns and writing music to God. Here's what she said. I want you to hear this, this, this wonderful, uh, an older lady at this point, blind older lady, hasn't seen since she was a baby, doesn't remember really anything. She says this, I could not have written thousands of hymns if I had been hindered by the distractions of seeing all the beautiful objects in the world. That would have taken my present notice. Listen, if I had a choice, I would still choose to be blind. For when I die, oh, hear it. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. Is that awesome? Incredible. Do you hear a changed heart in that? where Paul's saying, God, immeasurable, or uh, 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 let me, what's it say? God, eternal, immortal, invisible. invisible. I want to worship you forever and ever. And she says, if I, I want to be blind. because I don't want to see all this stuff, I just want to see Him. And she wrote those hymns, and this is the most famous of them. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, I'm purchased by God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Hear it. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior, personalized, all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all day long. One more verse. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture. Remember, she's blind. Now burst in my sight. What sight? The eyes of the heart, with man sees angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy and whispers of love. That, my friend, is a woman that the grace of Christ burst the banks and she can't stop writing about it and singing it. What's your story? That's my story, a little bit of it. That's Chuck Colson's story. It's Fanny Crosby's story. It's Paul's story because it's God's story of changing lives, and he still does it today. So tell your story. Share your story. Come get a story if you don't have one by trusting Jesus. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. We do say you are God, and we want to be servants. We want to serve an attitude, the church. Because in doing that, Lord, we're able to make a difference in people's lives. And so we come with your story. Not the grandiose of our story, of your story. Not the boring of our story, but the greatness of your story to share, just as Paul said, so that they could be amazed with the extraordinary work of God. Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't have a story of salvation, let today be the day they trust Jesus Christ to forgive their sins, save their soul, and live inside them. Turn to Him right now and ask for that. Say, I want you to be my Savior. Those of us that have been saved, that we know Jesus, give us an opportunity this week to share our story with our platform to make a difference. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.